0: night yes oh i'm so tired of coughing and congestion and
1: tired of being tired dude tired of love yeah. so inspired
0: i think this is the first day in at least a week that i haven't been taking Dayquil like it was skittles oof rough just they crave the juice okay okay here we go. we're here we are here. It's episode one ninety-three of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by fullviceaparil.com. Get yourself a hat, get yourself a shirt, like the one Phil is wearing. Um, I'm wearing a hoodie. We're both wearing hats, but I've not put these on the site yet. This is a Condro hat. I'm not I can't take it off because of my headphones. But you know. Um, planning on adding these at some point. Here soon. Excellent. Um, but fullv give it a follow. Facebook, Instagram, use code THN check checkout. That is uh 15% off your order. That is the exclusive promo code that you will not hear anywhere else. And it is just for you fine folks that listen, watch, and generally support the show. Uh blackbox cages.com, you need a rack, you need a cage. Black box cages all the rage you're shopping around again, tax season's coming up here soon. You know, you need a new rack. You need a new cage. Need maybe both hop on over blackbosscages.com shop around, see what they have, see all the awesome customization options. Um, If you're near North Georgia, you know, within a a reasonable drive, um, there's a pickup option. So save on shipping, get even more bang for your buck. Just uh, hop on up there and, and, check it out if you have any questions email message either the instagram or the facebook page uh jen and clint are very quick to to get back to you so two week turnaround time as well so if you order something you get it in a in a timely manner uh probably one of the best lead times in the business
1: i would i would say the best lead time in the business shy of going to a big show and buying a sea serpents enclosure Iraq rack from right. them at the show and taking it home with you other than that no one is faster than black box no one no one another one
0: yeah so go give them a follow uh shop around again check out all the cool stuff they have to offer uh and then coldbloodedcaffeine.com the best coffee around pinkies out that's right snakes and snogies blend Artisanally curated and crafted by us. You can see it right here. Right there. Mexican or Rwandan. You can get it the link down below in the description. Or just hop on over to Cold-Blooded Caffeine. Get yourself something good. Life's too short to drink bad coffee. Okay? Very true. Very, very true. I know some people may be happy with Cafe or whatever it is they got going on, but... This is worth every penny.
1: Some serious, some serious gourmet shit. That's
0: right. Uh, Puget Sound pythons. Also, Facebook, Instagram. Hunt them down on Morph Market. The Gendra sale. The Gendra Pacific Northwest represent. um... I'm gonna try and keep that as minimal as possible this entire time, but. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Let's get let better get better, an better be
1: quick on that uh that control D.
0: Oh, I don't even use the hotkeys. Oh, really? No, I haven't. I I should try it. I haven't. Yeah. Well, if you're Apple,
1: it's Command D, excuse me. Yes. Yes. If you're fancy. What are uh, you smoking this evening? I am smoking yet another uh Veterans Tobacco. This is one of their uh I guess it's a Corojo blend. Um it's bandless it's one of their no house no <clears throat> no name sticks but veterans of tobacco check them out good dudes good good tobacco hand rolled in house awesome stuff
0: hmm. and yourself perdomo habano can, um this is the sungrown nice sun-grown. perdomo habano sungrown very cool i Which haven't had easily, it's one of my favorites that perdomo does um it's 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 really damn good. Nice. So if you see them, grab them. They come in a couple different sizes. This is the Churchill, and uh, it's just it's a Habano and it's sun grown. It's two great things together.
1: Legit, legit.
0: Uh, we did have some new warped come in. There's one called Devil's Hands, um, that I want to try. I almost bought one, but I usually. When something new comes into the shop and it's just open to put on the shelf, I'm at a point now where I try to kind of give it a week or so before I, before I grab one and smoke it, because they're usually, they, you just need, they need some time to air out a little bit and to yeah. kind of, kind of,
1: they, yeah. they need some time to rehydrate from sitting on a <clears throat> warehouse
0: the shelf shipping and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So i found, especially with like the, the Dunbarton tobacco and trust brand stuff, um, those need a little bit of time. If it's a brand new box, like what I would do when I was working there, uh, if stuff was getting low on Dunbarton, I'd go ahead and open a box and just keep it on the shelf in Overstock so that by the time we were out, it was like kind of already ready to go because those yeah. definitely need some time to, to open up. I found some brands it's not as bad as others, but uh, for the most part, I try not to jump straight into something new and, and get it as soon as the boxes open it on the shelf.
1: So, right. Yeah, so- Don't don't be fooled by the your local tobacconist or local, you know, cigar shop clerk who says, Oh man, I just opened a fresh box for you.
0: Uh, I might not go for it. And I mean, it's not anything. It's not like a major noticeable difference. I've just come to find that, you know, you don't get, if you're trying something for the first time to get sort of the, the best initial sort of interpretation of it and, and the true, flavors from it if you give it a little bit of time to to rest some um, and then circle back to it then yeah then do it or and if i mean if people are buying them up like crazy like say you go in i went in today and there was you know a fresh box of devil's Hand or don Ronaldo's or something open and i went in tomorrow and like half that box was gone then i'd probably go ahead and buy one or two and then just yeah you know put them in my travel case for a little bit um even though half the time honestly i'll bring home cigars you know i usually have one or two with me um I don't even put them in a case. I just leave them out. You know, I let them, I let mine get a little, little draw uh, drier.
1: Yeah, and also there's a huge difference between the the shop clerk saying, "Hey, let me open a fresh box for you," and he gets it from like the top rack inside the humidor, like you know, the, like the upper storage, or they leave the humidor and go into like the back warehouse or whatever. Huge difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just because, I mean, you're going to deal with, so it's the same thing as when they're in production, you know, they have them in these giant fermenting piles uh, that are, you know, the size of a freaking car for an extended period of time before they get rolled and and sorted and things like that uh, with the raw tobaccos at least. And so you get like an off gassing. So there's like going to be ammonia and there's going to be these things that occur during that whole process and it doesn't stop once the cigar is rolled and made like in the box like you're still going to have some of that happening um, so when you get a new box like that and it's sealed up in, in plastic and stuff and then the box is sealed with the labels and the stickers and stuff If once you open it up you want to kind of just give it a little while to, to breathe some and kind of get all the ammonias and things out so Raj has never talked about on Pan? Pan? I don't know. He's not. Oh, But we're here. It's Monday. Uh, we're going to be joined by Aaron of Woods and Forests Media, who we had on back in July. I figured we'd get a little update from him. He's currently uh, having issues with his, his mic and camera in StreamYard, so gonna give him a few minutes before he hops in. I don't know. I like Kaju though. I'll eat that like crazy. I don't know. Most Indian food for the most part doesn't doesn't do much for me. I don't know. It's not my thing. Nice nice nerdy headphones there, Phil. It happens. Hey. hey, there! There he is.
2: Wow, like really up close. That's not what I expected, but. It <laughs> I'm
1: gonna see that shimmering face, brother. Uh oh. <laughs>
2: hey, sorry about the delay, guys. I got a different webcam. It's a pan tilt zoom, and then I had to restart my computer. I don't know, just a lot of unfortunate luck here. But better late than never, right? I
0: thought you were a professional. Story of our story <laughs> of our show. Trying to run a clean show here
1: yeah the one guy who does this like legit professionally (laughs)
2: it's yeah ironic right it just happened but it is what it is (laughs) so now I can finally hear you guys excellent I have no idea what was said 10 minutes prior but I know I can hear you now (laughs) Oh, we were just
1: doing our, our standard intro, a little tobacco talk. Cigar sponsors. stuff. Yeah.
2: I saw you holding that up. I saw you holding the cigars up. I'm like, oh, they're just doing advertisements right now. So it's all right. Perfect time to, you know,
0: <laughs> figure this out. That's right. <laughs> you got a, a solid like 10 minutes to to get it all sorted and ready to go. So, <laughs> um, Jeff Frederick asked how the corn and Baird's activity... Uh, is here as far as, I guess, updates and stuff. Um, put some corns together last night. Um, males were obviously all about it. Females didn't seem like they're they're receptive yet, but we'll give them some time. Um, I'm not doing birds this year. I'm taking the year off on bears. Um I figure all my females just need an, a year off, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, I talked to Rob Stone about the rhinos because I contemplated whether or not I should split the rhinos up for the year and do every other year on them. But Rob said they're fine year to year. So I'm going to have the rhinos go ahead and go again this year. Um, now that I'm kind of understanding what the dance is with those and babies and stuff and, and rosies and whatnot. So uh, i get that squared away and then nothing really else going on. Uh nothing major at least that I can I can think of. Everything's pretty much status quo. Same old same. That's yep. right. Yep. What about what? you, Philip?
1: Same old on my end, man. Just uh slowly bringing stuff out of what I would consider a cool down. It's just tough because the swings and temps have been crazy and then we just got all this nasty low pressure that came in which is great for pairing stuff but bad when this stuff hasn't eaten in almost two months and you're trying to you know feed it to get it back to get it back rolling um i don't know if the cape puffs locked or not but they're they're back together and uh probably in the next two weeks maybe well today is monday so yeah probably two weeks from now i'm going to pair the wrinkles so we'll see what happens yeah yeah I'm not too concerned because the individual who had them before me, he he cohabbed them, uh, and they seem to be perfectly fine. But they also haven't seen each other in over two years, yeah. so should be interesting. But uh, that's really all I got going on my end.
0: Man, I was feeding those ad- my my adult rhinos yesterday. At least the pair that's housed together, um, and that's always a little hectic. Yeah. Cause the male just hangs out. He stays perched in his little area, like all the time, like 24 seven. And he just hangs out there. He doesn't really explore much from that. Like he's got a spot. So I, you know, fed him cause the female was nowhere to be seen. She was hiding under one of the court halves or something. And so I was like, of course she's going to come out at some point, realize there's food and then just start looking for everything. And so Norman of course happens. he finished eating and she's sitting there out of the hide now, staring at him and then she started moving. And so he started going to her. And I like have to have the hook there to kind of like separate him a little bit. Cause I'm like, yeah. Look, I know where this is going. You guys have played this game before. Let's not do it again. And then had to draw the female out, you know, so she's not paying attention to him. He's now in his corner doing his thing, like just staring. Um, and then the females, you know, she's even more psychotic with food than the males are. Like they're great little snakes, but good Lord. When food's in the in the mix, dude, they are, that's a, they're rowdy.
1: You know what I've been saying about doing this for a long time? I want to make, or have made, you know, and if somebody wants to steal the idea, God bless, take it, run with it, make some money, send me one for free. A giant wooden spoon, not giant, but a, say, meter long, maybe even just two, two and a half foot wooden spoon with a wide, flat, almost spatula head that's kind of at an angle like a hockey stick and that way if you are cohabbing, you can literally put it in front of the snake's face and then feed the one and then once you know things are cool you can pull back and feed the other one and vice versa i
0: feel like you could just as easily cut a piece of plastic from like an old tub or a lid or something and attach it to a pvc pipe and do the same thing
1: yeah, but I, I like the, yeah, I guess. I, I was trying to make it not clear or not like
0: see-through, opaque, whatever. Yeah, but like, I mean, I'm like a, an opaque lid. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure we all have spare lids laying around that we yeah. have no idea what they go to. I know I do. I'm looking at at least three of them right now. Um, yeah. Just nut and bolt that to a piece of PVC and then. There you go. There you you go. could do that.
1: I kind of like the wooden spoon. I think it's more.
0: Use an ore. <laughs> Use an ore. Nice. Nice.
2: That's my vote.
0: Uh, well, you gotta do that with your significant other. I wish I had a something to a partition between <laughs> me and my snacks.
1: I was gonna say they make adult paddles, my friend.
0: <laughs> Plastic paddle and a heat gun. There you go. There you go. So.
1: Well, did, did, I walked away for a minute because my dog was going crazy, but did we properly introduce our guest? I did. Okay, excellent. Excellent.
0: Here we are. Here we are. Aaron. So, did,
1: did we explain to the people why we decided to have Aaron on tonight?
0: You just said it was, we were due for, like, a, a an update.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think... It's not exactly six months since Frog Week, but we're at it that mark. It's July, right?
0: Yeah. You yeah.
1: hmm So, we figured uh, we would let Aaron kind of re re up on woods and forest and, and and talk about the next frog week and kind of see how the projects are going, the neighborhood stuff. And yeah, man.
2: Let me just say, man, I love the podcast you guys do. And uh, if I could have, if I could be a, a panelist for you guys, I think I would love that just because I like just catching up with you guys and making jokes and just having a good time, even off camera. But uh, <laughs> I'm not a reptile expert. I'm the first to say that. You know, I'm I'm doing a lot of field work stuff, so I'm not going to be beneficial to your audience. But in that in that aspect, but I just wanted to say that I love you guys, and I'm I'm really thankful for the opportunity um, to be here because uh, you guys put out some really quality content, and I try to push you guys out to people. And um, I invited all the people from Woods and Forest Media to come out and check the podcast out tonight, but yeah, I really have a lot of respect for what you guys do. I think you guys are, even if you're being funny, like very professional guys here. And, um, you guys have some projects in the works too. I mean, that magazine that you're doing, I think that deserves a lot of praise. You know, anybody could say they're going to do it, but to have issues and to have like, you know, a solid magazine, I mean, you guys are really, you know, you guys are doing it. (laughs) There's a lot of cool stuff. So just wanted to, give you guys a shout out thanks man praise you guys
1: we appreciate it sincerely
0: it's a labor of love hell yeah how's the
2: magazine going though by the way like have you gotten are you allowed i'm sorry i didn't mean to like just kind of launch that into. you
1: ruined it (laughs) yeah geez aaron (laughs) it's going good man we're uh we're writing and uh and organizing and we we decided to do it seasonally so it's it's a lot less stress in terms of having a deadline and, and feeling obligated to pump something out. So as
2: much as that kills some of us. Yeah. 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 You guys all have, you guys have jobs and you guys families and, you know, trying to put together a magazine or on a podcast. There's a lot, a lot of work there.
0: Yeah, man. The deadline thing. I'm just, I'm the type that I got to have that. I got to have the, i gotta have the finish line in sight otherwise i'm just gonna casually stroll my way there you know and
1: but that's and that's okay
0: (laughs) might get it done in a week might get it done in a year no one really knows we'll (laughs) see
2: well i gotta get some uh issues to you as well i gotta write some out uh i just haven't lately there we go that's the man right there there we go family episode tonight huh (laughs) but uh yeah, I would I would love to sit down and write some of this stuff out for you guys as well uh, to publish what's going on in the big tank and then about Frog Week down the road. Just been craziness, but we'll get into that tonight. I'm really excited to be yeah. on here and just be talking with you guys. Well,
1: you want to give us a, a, a recap of Woods and Forest, and are you still doing just Woods and Forest and the Woods and Forest Media, or you just kind of combined it all to one?
2: And- <laughs> so. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I know a lot of your followers have reached out to me actually from doing the last podcast. So I could be very well talking to people that watch my content as well. So I'm sorry if there's redundancy, but I am the president of the nonprofit PA Woods and Forests. And we just found out where 501c3 in late summer after Frog Week are Main project that we've done is a conservation project for the past six years, where I go out and I do road rescues and I'll rehabilitate animals, taking them to wildlife rehabilitation centers, and maybe we can get them back in the wild or, um, you know, they'll be an ambassador animal. I also have I've documented some regional like novel discoveries for different counties in Pennsylvania. I'm a current graduate student at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, uh, so I do I'm very focused on field work, very focused on conservation and I organized a group in 2021 to come by my side and uh, to start making a change and start working towards the goal of creating something that could potentially create jobs and inspire the youth. So uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening with it. And at the same time, I had a YouTube channel in 2015 and it was just really messing around, didn't really know what I was doing with it. But uh, I proposed that to the nonprofit and our Treasurer said, absolutely not, because if you are able to make a profit off of it, we're not doing taxes. So I said, all right. In 2022, I said, we'll just completely separate them out legally and then we can be a, a beneficiary to filming content for the nonprofit. So Woods and Forests Media is my like YouTube channel, my Instagram website. And then we're also getting into surveying work and freelance drone videography. So. Um, the the media brand focuses on uh filming for the nonprofit but they're legally separate i guess that's the best way to
0: i've heard it. getting the the 501 3c thing is real tough like it's not an easy process and i'm sure there's been plenty of people over the course of history that have abused that that whole <laughs> status and things and they're the reason that it's been made difficult for people um i mean is it really that that tough i don't know i've heard mixed things i've had some people tell me it was it really wasn't that horrible of a process. I've had other people tell me it's, it's fairly nightmarish. Well, uh, I'm sure there's some people here that are very fascinated
2: to know that. And our attorney had told us it would take a lot of time and it would, it's like a 27 page thing and, you know, very tedious type work. But we have a guy who is our treasurer. He's been, now he's currently retired, but he was in the DEP and he actually distributed, grants so he was like a manager he he's like i'll do it he's like yeah give it give it to me for a day so he took it on he finished it in a day and he got it approved so that guy's a legend shout out to malcolm our treasurer for wow. a. woods and forest That's yeah because awesome. yeah
0: they don't normally get done in a day but he uh he definitely did so yeah, i mean i'm sure there's there's just been plenty of people you know over the years that have found some way to, to take advantage of that, that status oh, definitely and stuff. And that's why they've, they make it such a, a rigorous process and, and vetting and making sure that it's legit before they just give somebody a nonprofit status. You know, it's yeah, it's unfortunate that that's, that's the case, but
2: I'll give you a better answer for this. So <laughs> there are people like you're saying who probably abused it and people who probably shouldn't have a 501 C three. And what I can say is it's much harder to get it if you're screwing around or if you're somebody that's like trying to abuse it than it is if you're somebody that knows what they're doing. Because Malcolm, yeah, uh, you know, he knew he knew exactly what to write and how to write it. He did it in hours. So he obviously knew what the legal ramifications were. And, and so that's how it went through. But uh, yeah, for the people that are just like trying to abuse it, they're going to have a much harder time. That's a lot. Uh, to sit down and try to digest and then to get it right, you know, because these are people that are reviewing this. It's not just computers yet. So. Mm. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Super cool, man.
0: Frederick said it also depends on how well you can communicate your mission, which also makes sense. You know, it has to. Yeah. Can't imagine there's, there can be a lot of uh, vague vagueness in that. No, I don't think so. It's like, what are you going to do as a nonprofit? Nonprofit things. <laughs> what?
2: Yeah. Um, we've actually just been writing grants and that's been a, a different thing for me. So as a full-time graduate student and a media brand owner, and now this, well, this has been one of the oldest that I've been doing, but um, it's been a, a whole different experience. You know, uh, I'm not sure if you guys volunteered when you were growing up or if you Uh, got in with like conservation districts or you got internships with like forestry places, but it's really interesting to see the leadership in the room for these different organizations, because uh, depending on the leader, it's going to tell you how effective that nonprofit is. And I'm not throwing shade at anybody at all. I'm just saying there's different strategies. So some people will establish themselves and do what they've always done. And other people will be aggressive. You know, the gambler, all the chips are on the table all the time. And I've had the chance to work for various bosses that are, you know, so diverse and so different. So I had a chance to model and really figure out what the nonprofit was that I wanted to create and how I wanted to be a leader. So, um, you know, just from learning from some of the best and, you know, depending on your view, maybe some of the worst. If you uh, are a complete risk taker or if you're a complete conservative uh, owner you know that might be your style i'm somewhere in the middle i think taking educated risks and taking the you know taking a risk time from time is worth it if it means we're going to get to where we need to get to yeah.
1: that's great man
2: that's great
0: yeah being that's... able to, to sort of to take the the things from the different ones you know that you've you've worked with and apply what worked best with those you know those individuals and stuff is Definitely wise. Have you guys had a lot of uh
2: nonprofits or people come on kind of talking about that side? I know you've had some really good guys on, but I just was curious to hear if they've actually like sat down and
0: talked about it. If they did, it was it was more or less in passing. It wasn't ever like a in-depth conversation about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was uh you know, them repping the organization and talking about all the good it's doing but not really going into the breakdown of it per se mm. on, on that, that plane, you know, cause it's not as, it's not as fun. It's not as glamorous. You know what I mean? Most people, they don't, they don't want to know how the bus drives. They just want to get to the destination. You know,
2: I got you. Where are you guys yeah. at with that though? I'm not trying to, you know, no, this I, will dictate I, where we're at. Yeah.
1: Like I think it, I think it's fascinating. Um, it's interesting to see the different. It's interesting to see the things that you don't see, like what yep. we just talked about. And, nobody well, realizes you, that what's that justin
0: you hear 501c3 a lot you know but yeah, i don't yeah. know exactly what is involved in getting that status and what it you know what it right. means
1: and so many people think it's just oh i can do i have to, i can do this task and not have to pay taxes what would you do mm-hmm. And it's way more than that obviously so you want to oh, yeah. give us a little rundown
2: yeah let me, let me break some stuff down for you guys i think this is a really good opportunity um sure so i'll start with the 501c3 and i'll talk about a state educator permit so that way you're uh, yeah. Your audience here gets a chance to hear how some of the legal stuff works, but I'll try to be exciting in this. Yeah. So <laughs> 501c3 work. Uh, we weren't sure if we would ever get it because right now in the government, there's a lot of question marks as to whether or not they're going to give it out. Uh, they're starting to make it a lot harder. They're moving the goalposts. That's from my understanding, from my attorney and from those around me. Um We are very fortunate that we got it when we did. We don't have to worry about that. But I want to make sure that we talk about what we did prior to getting it. I think that's why it went through so smooth. We were in multiple newspaper articles on the cover of newspapers, even in a regional aspect. I mean, the state has to make sure you're not doing some terroristic Mm -hmm. stuff and some crazy things. So, you know, they're going to do background checks. And whenever they looked up my name and our treasurer and others at the time, they saw, well, you know, these guys are pretty good. Uh, they're not criminals. They're not doing something that we don't agree it's with. Not shady. Yeah. Exactly. So because they saw that and they saw the body of work of Frog Week before we even were a nonprofit, I think that made the transition much easier for them to say, OK, you know, these guys are legit. Let's give it to them. Um, and I can't have i couldn't have asked for it to come at a better time because we didn't really sit down and think of what's the budget to do a frog week until this year when we did the grants like how much am i taking a loss i know i'm taking a loss but like you know where where am i actually at um and i'll tell you uh i think i was losing somewhere around 10 to 15k to do one in terms of the gas mileage in terms of like the cameras in terms of like the time like if i had to call off work so uh the frog week so the way we're doing this with our nonprofit is it's not rolled out yet under the website but we're gonna have departments so each department's going to be responsible for raising its own money and we're going to figure out you know how much do we need to get what we want done and it looks like the frog week conservation department is going to need about 15 or more to sustain itself over the next so many years um so that could be a scary number or it can you know, encourage somebody to get to work because you want to continue doing it. Um, So I've looked at it in a lot of different ways. There's still stuff I'll do if we don't reach that number. But I'm just saying for what we would like to do, you got to be able to spend money to make money. Um, And, you know, if you want to make an impact, sometimes you got to throw money at it. And what I mean by that, we want to create these habitats in people's backyards. I have an idea of creating like the MTO of conservation where we're going to get these small bins about 18 gallons. We're going to put them in the ground and we're going to get grants to put uh, pollinator habitats around it because we know amphibians eat insects and amphibians also need plants to hide in. So it's a perfect storm. Um, if you don't want to stay in your location, a lot of people feel like they're held down by a massive pond that's dug in the middle of a property. You can just pick this thing up, take if you want to even dig out the plants, you don't even have to, and you can just move it and have backyard conservation wherever you live. So, uh, I'm trying to create about nine of those. Which uh, we did the the math for the pollinator side of it. It's about eight hundred to a thousand dollars each. Um, which surprising, right? Because I didn't wow. yeah it expensive, but yeah, yeah. You start quantifying this, you start really looking like how much does conservation cost? And it's uh it's a surprising number. But the other thing I could speak to is there's a lot of great people out there that want to throw money at seeing a change. You know sure. Uh, Justin, you, you keep corn snakes and you've always talked about being a proponent of seeing them thrive and and do fantastic out in the wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the same thing. If you would start a conservation project to go out and, you know, do conservation work, you know, whether it be creating habitat or I don't know how deep you'd have to get into it for the breeding side of things, but there's a lot of cool stuff that can come out of it. And, you know, you yeah,
0: Good. I'm actually really curious to to hear like as, talk about the survey stuff a little bit because I've been curious about about that myself, and as far as here on the island, um, mm. you know, and what's involved in that. But well, we can get into that in a, in a bit.
2: Yeah, I'd love to hear what you're doing and different things as well. Um, so I think that that's a good way to to just talk about a little bit what's going on. The other thing is. Um, I also have a state educator permit, which allows me to take in some of the rescued animals that we find on the road or that I find in pots at plant nurseries or whatever. There was a toad over this break over the fall break. Uh, it was about a $4,000 wrist surgery. So that was something that ran me pretty dry for a while because wow, it was nuts. Yeah. So what are the, think about this though, this is, this is going to be kind of funny to think. What are the odds in the middle of October, a male American toad, just wounded in the middle of the road is found by the guy who's been building like the biggest, most advanced American toad habitat and who's, (laughs) who's literally looking for toads to take in, but only if they need help. And not only does he inherit this habitat at some point, once he's cleared of worms, but uh, he also gets the benefit of getting the surgery to survive and like get his wrist put, it it broke in two places and uh, man, it was a, a wild uh, situation is trying to get him to reheal and but anyway so yeah it's it's that's what the educator permit is meant for it's not meant for people to go get a five gallon bucket scoop up all the frogs and then put them in a five gallon tank and say all right here we have it yeah it's it's meant for that kind of work like you're actually going to take care of them put that kind of money into them and give them a, you know, as good of a habitat as you can, you know, just like you guys are doing with your fantastic care with the snakes and all the reptiles you guys are keeping, you know, we should be uh, aiming at that level.
1: Well said, man, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And I, I imagine that with the grants and, with the fundraising in general, whether it be from you know private individuals who want to pay their own pay for their own pond, so to speak, I imagine that the more exposure that you get or the the, the, the organization gets, you're gonna hopefully find enthusiasts like us who are perhaps more financially better off, so to speak, <laughs> who are who are looking for a, a good charity to donate some funds too yeah. for both for their tax benefits as well as to help you guys do what you guys do so hopefully uh some people that are listening uh might consider that
0: well it's, it's also nice too that you can have give people an option for something that isn't a like a massive commitment it's not taking up a ton of space of their property it's not like a permanent fixture you know so if someone does want to move um am i frozen we can hear you per. perfect
1: no you're good you're good man No, oh, i think he did freeze
0: oh okay no, no, he's my there. internet's playing games again. no you're <laughs> good you're good we hear you i'm here oh yeah all right um giving people that option because i know like i have some neighbors here that are all about native plants um native wildlife and like making sure their their yard is like a a, a good sp- space for that you know they're purposefully making decisions that it's like what is going to be the best for native wildlife and native flora um you know my wife she's been interested in in planting wildflowers and stuff in our backyard to attract bees and um you know there was a, a a guy here who i guess is a does like apiaries and so you would you paid him a certain amount he would come out and set up the hive and stuff for free and then monthly you would pay him however much to come and like maintain it um which is a really cool concept i thought it was neat i think you know what he was wanting for it seemed kind of steep i don't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head but you know for someone who wants to get into that kind of thing and help out but also doesn't want to necessarily be involved in having to to maintain and and handle something like that um you know it's it's a cool option and it seems like people are are more interested in that kind of stuff now than ever you know
2: Mhm. Yeah, so, very much so.
0: I'm not trying to put your
2: friend for the B apiaries out of business, but one of the best things that you could also do is you could look at like uh solitary bees. They are significantly cheaper, they pollinate much faster and they're much more peaceful. Our nonprofit is um focusing on like the eastern mason bee and the leafcutter bee even though the leafcutter bee is not native it's naturalized it's Mm -hmm. not gonna you know it's basically like the honeybee but it produces more like it's just better um i'm not trying to throw shade or hate on honeybees whatsoever i'm just saying if you guys i don't know who who the guy was either so like if you guys have
0: someone that that katie happened to come across
2: Yeah, like families and stuff, like old people, like they don't have to worry about getting stung by these bees. And that's a different department that we just started actually was uh, pollinators. And the leafcutter bee is going to be our basically our mascot. We got the monarch butterfly, the painted lady butterfly. And um, let me explain a a little bit more too. So not only are we trying to put in these habitats for frogs and these pollinator gardens around them, I'm hoping that some of these places, because I'm working with landowners for this, Uh, I would love to get a T post and I'd love to put a trail cam in and get video of the animals coming and like literally getting their calls and seeing them hopping around and see who we actually brought to these uh, habitats. And then the other side of things, I'm also hoping that I can get weather stations like I have at my house. So that way we can figure out in these different locations, these microclimates, who had a drought this year and who didn't and how can we report that to the people that are following us for the you know the native ecology in our area
1: yeah that'd be fantastic if you even if you got some kind of program where you had a a a small covered box that you could put like a a govi in Hmm. you know and just yeah and just have a govi at every single guy's station people's stations and you know once a week they walk over and download the data you know and then send it to you however i think that'd be fantastic
2: that's going to be one of the interesting parts for frog week this year if we're able to get that because i believe we're going to put in habitats but i'm not sure how how in depth they're going to be this year uh it might literally just be you know planting the seed and then we come back next year and the year after and we really see what's going on but um you know i'm really hopeful that we can get more trail cams because I think that's going to be special for a lot of people, you know, you use them for hunting all the time. And I know people are starting to use them to measure uh, like the floodplains to see if, you know, how, how uh, I guess deep a river or Creek is getting before it gets to that level of flooding. And why can't we use that for amphibians that make sound and hop around? You know, they they're the least suspecting of anything that we're going to be filming them like that.
1: Yeah. I actually, I have two questions on that same topic. So not to sound shady, but a lot of times when there are non-for-profit organizations that are providing something to a homeowner or a homesteader or a landowner, there is a tax benefit to that or a write-off to that. Is having one of the ponds in the yard something that in the future might develop into that? Like they get a tax refund or something because they have like a a, uh, micro-conservancy on their property?
2: no i don't okay. know i don't know how politically correct this will be to say but but i have never thought about giving people a tax break especially because we're going to be the ones going out to manage this like we're doing the work okay. uh they're providing the location so <laughs> i i don't know what that would mean like I, that's what well, i've it, ever it, thought about that i thought but, it's
1: an incentive for the person yeah. you know it's it's an it's more of an incentive for the person to put it on their property
2: yeah yeah. I think I think, yeah, I get what you're saying. That might be a good tactic for like stingy <clears throat> landowners that don't necessarily want one. Um, I'll explain to the viewers, too. The reason why I'm going after landowners is because you have so much conservation happening in the state parks and the game lands and all of the state forests and all of the protected areas you've got. Uh, most states are the DNR in Pennsylvania. It's the DCNR. Uh, but we have like our game commission or, you know, places of wildlife commission. So nobody is looking for these creatures on private property, but it's one of the highest conservation needs is to create corridors. So if we start creating frog ponds and pollinator gardens along forests and, you know, suburban neighborhoods, now we're creating an opportunity for wildlife, even, you know, let's say in areas where there's heavy drought, the deer won't die because they're going to go to these ponds and they're going to drink from it. So, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot more than just having some, you know, a couple frogs come to your house and croaking and some bees flying around. It's going to be a lot more in depth than that, but no, it's, it's not for tax write-offs, uh at least at the moment. It's all been very sincere because it's people I work with and I'll invite right. them to the board meeting. But no, I that's a good that's a good opportunity. I just wanted to make sure people don't think that we're doing stuff uh with like tax incentives. You know, I want it to be as genuine as possible.
1: Yeah, I just I just know there's a lot of guys there's a lot of people in my area that have they live in, in the urban they live in the urban area or the suburban area and they own large parcels of rural land whether it be just as like a getaway cabin or they're hunters or they're you know they're, they're just rich people with land or they're you know, just who smart. knows yeah and uh but they're very very apprehensive to let any kind of state or science official mm-hmm. onto their property because they're afraid that the state or the scientists are going to find something mm-hmm. and then they're going to they're they are going to lose their land they're going to they're going to take it steal it annex it whatever <laughs> i actually have a, a client from work years past who he had a ton of trail cams on his property and wound up having an entire like eight or nine family unit of florida panthers on his land wow and he pulled all the he would like go out every you know saturday and he'd pull all the memory cards out of these trail cams. And he had videos of, like, mom teaching the cubs how to hunt and, like, mom taking down wild pigs on the property and all this crazy uh, com- uh, communal family unit Florida Panther stuff. And he sent all the videos and all the pictures to the state, and the state tried so hard to get people on his property, and he just denied them because he knew that if they did, they would do everything in their power to take it from him. Mm-hmm. So when I think of it is, you're not the state per se, you're a non-for-profit, and if there are landowners that are apprehensive because of that mindset or that thought process, this, a a tax write-off and the fact that it's not legitimate government, yeah, it would be a better conduit to
2: make everybody happy. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, I, I completely get that's it. Where, that's what my thought process was. I completely understand yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and I think you're exactly right. We are trying to work with people and and we are not the state, but you brought up a couple of good points here. So this is something that I've talked about with, with our board. Um, How do you appeal to everybody, the Democrats and the Republicans? How do you appeal to the politicians and the business owners? Well, you have to go out and you have to actively like try to get these people to come. You have to befriend them, you know, be a part of your community and be active in it. And we actually had a County commissioner that uh, has been a big supporter of what we do. And a lot of the guys he's, he's a Democrat. A lot of the guys are Republicans, but he's, he's out there with us. Like we're having a good time. You know, it's, I think we're in a place where we are moderate. We can bring people together because people from the state can respect what we're doing, but also the community at a whole understands like, Hey, this, this is just a kid who is going to school that wants to see the best for these animals. Like he's not out here trying to poach land from us or trying to do anything like shady. And I think, Going into that approach with teaching even the people on the board, like, hey, we need to, if we want to have a seat at the table, then we need to be able to have these people over as well for dinner. You know, we need to be able to invite these people and be engaging with them because we could write all the stuff and lobby and do all these other things. But until the end of the day comes and, and we have a conversation with them face to face, we're not going to see change. We're not going to see anything happen. So, um, and I I'm very open about that. I don't think anybody that supports the nonprofit it under like they understand. Hey, Aaron's going to go and he's going to talk to the politicians. But you know, this is this is our thing. You know, and, and we want to work with people. For I'll give you a good example of this. So the Pittsburgh Zoo is going to have their second property, uh, which is in a, a different county, and it's a lot uh, quieter. It's, it's just more woodland and stuff like that. If we would go out there and we would find something that's more rare, we're going to help the Pittsburgh zoo take care of it. We're not, we're not bringing in, you know, some type of government agency to take their land. You know, it's, it's by the blessing of the property owner that we're there. And I'm not really sure all the legal aspects of what the state can do if it's on private property, but uh, we're not trying to infringe on anybody's rights. We're just trying to create an opportunity for an animal that these people might have, um, to continue to live and, you know, hopefully teach a sense of stewardship while they get the chance to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, a great, a great term, stewardship. I love it.
0: That's Are you guys stuff, teaming man. up with any like master naturalist programs or anything like that?
2: That's a good question. Um, right now I have somebody who is the head of the pollinator department. She's a master gardener. Um, I know Penn State Extension is massive in our state for creating master gardeners and naturalists and things like that. Um, Right now, we haven't had that opportunity. Um, I haven't like I haven't specifically sought them out to teach classes or to join it. For me, I guess I'd have to think like if I get a graduate degree in biology and I'm doing all this stuff in the field, like I could go and get one of those. But at the end of the day, I would rather see. If, if we could pay for other people to go do it if they wanted to from the nonprofit, I'd rather see that. Like I'm, I'm trying to be a, a team player for the people on my team where if they want to go do something, I want to find money to enable that, I guess is, is the best way to put it whenever it comes yeah. to giving back to the nonprofit. Sure. But sure. no, I, I haven't, I haven't had any talks with anybody as of right now, but that's not really the approach we're trying to take. We're actually trying to go after the zoos, we want to get a presence working with like the fish and boat commission with the zoos and like other conservation districts and, uh, non, not non, excuse me, <laughs> nonprofit organizations. Um, so we're, we're trying to approach, I guess, I don't want to say this with any disrespect, but like we're trying to approach much larger, um, markets right now with the zoos and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, Jeff Frederick has a great point that I, I didn't even click in my head. Uh, he was saying, uh, get waterfowl hunters on board. Many of them are con- conser- are conservation-minded, yet conservative politically. And that's something I was going to ask, too, is we think of organizations like Frog Watch. And then you also have, on the complete other side of it, uh, Ducks Unlimited and the National Wild Turkey Federation. I think it'd be awesome if you could get in with like Ducks Unlimited or National Wild Turkey Federation because they have got so much extra land that they've acquired for legitimate conservation and nobody loves animals more than hunters whether people want to admit to it or not so if that if if you want to talk about bigger things like zoo organizations and aza and stuff like that that's awesome but i also feel like if you did reach out to some of those hunter outdoorsman companies or organizations i mean even if you linked up with um uh oh man who uh uh, batnits backwoods no what is it uh now i can't remember damn it <laughs> it's oh yeah it, it's so co- organizations like um mountain goat society and why can't i back country out i'll remember and i'll send it to you but they're basically based out of big sky country you know montana north dakota south dakota and it's all preserving prairie and wetlands and mountain goat habitat and i feel like getting in with organizations like that that like like jeff said that are conservation through and through but also very conservative in that regard on politically political scale that may have a just another venue to go through it yeah sorry if i was rambling on that
2: one no no i i would love to connect with these places i don't have any problem with that the only thing is right now though I want to make sure that we are uh, as attractive as we can be, because I feel like we might need to do a little bit more realistically. I think before we approach somebody like that, I'm not, I'm not dissing where we're at, but I want to make sure, I think after we go through another season and we get a little bit more, I think that might be the best time to approach some of these bigger places like Mm -hmm. that, because uh, you know, some of these places are going to say, well, you know, who are you? Whereas, we go through another season and I start when getting come in...
0: back and say, who are you?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I really think that we need to go through one more year before we go after some of them, some of the bigger names, but no, Phil, you're right on. And, and that's where we need to be. We need to be trying to reach those people uh, because hunters already have a seat at the table with a lot, you know, they dictate a lot of mm-hmm. what habitats get saved and, and where the money gets spent. But uh, yeah, they don't, there's no issues with frogs and with hunters, so I mean, yeah. I really I think that it's it's a brilliant idea, honestly.
1: Yeah, especially hunters in the South that are
2: gigging frogs for food. I get asked that question all yeah, the time and, about no, it. Well,
1: think, think, <laughs> no, and, and that's something that like my friends and I we we used to gig frogs. We'd go out, we go small game hunting, and we'd gig leopards. And I mean, we ate them; they were delicious, but. We also took a ton of photos, and we took yeah. notes as to what was where. You know, we we tried to only go after certain size stuff just to kind of keep things good and not just wipe out a whole canal. Yep. But things like that 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 people in our community don't necessarily always think about or even know about. I think that's a great venue, and I, I found it on my Instagram. It's Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So they're a non-for-profit organization. I don't know if they're 501c3 or not, but they, their whole thing is a non-for-profit organization. And they do like uh, public land ownership. So we all own public land, but we don't always have access to it. So they have teams of lawyers and ecologists who find uh legitimate easement to get to public lands for both research as well as public use. And, A company like them they're out west i know they have you know facilities in the east coast but getting in with something like that or even some kind of affiliate in some way or some kind of co project or something i feel like could be more beneficial even just on a marketing level just to raise exposure
2: definitely i would love to get more of this information from you after the show even you know
1: yeah yeah i'll send you some some hunting links and stuff but And like I I was just uh, at a major trade show for my work and National Wild Turkey Federation was there and they just I don't know if they rebranded last year or they rebranded this year, but it's like a whole new logo, whole new concept. And people that don't know the story of wild turkeys in the United States, I, I forgive me if I get the dates wrong, but I'm pretty sure the eastern turkey specifically was almost extinct in the 1950s and a bunch of hunters got together and said hey let's we want to preserve this bird both for you know wildlife and nature and the the balance of nature and the balance of ecology but we also like shooting them and eating them so let's start this organization to get property and seed it and plant it and you know make artificial roosts and plant oak trees so that these birds have a place to raise their raise their pults, as you say and uh and they brought Eastern turkeys back from extinction and I mean we were the cause of it whether yeah. it be deforestation or over hunting or land development or whatever Thanksgiving, so, yeah Thanksgiving right <laughs> <laughs> and um and over the past what 50 60 years now the Eastern turkey is is blossomed and doing great and the fact that they just rebranded they've got more exposure they've got more funding if you will and yeah, we'll talk more after the show. Sorry, I was I was going to a little soapbox there. Sorry.
2: Hey, I I love hearing it. You know, if you were in Pennsylvania, I would try to snatch you up immediately to be on the board. So <laughs> <laughs> I like you guys think out of the box. That's why I like this podcast. You know, you guys are, aren't afraid to go down and
0: talk. You know, go in detail about anything. That's what I like.
1: Yeah, man. We appreciate
0: it. And appreciate the, it. the reason I ask about the, the master naturalists and master gardeners too, is because I feel like those would be a good starting point for people as far as like saying, Hey, this is what we're wanting to do. You know, it a wheelhouse of, of interests and things like that. Um, and even if you say, Hey, we want to do this, this, you know, this pond minute, you know, micro habitat kind of deal. Um, you know, you will even let you plant whatever plants you want to plant as long as they're native. um and sort of in line with whatever you're doing um you know getting the word out from that because then you already have a base of people that are are probably very willing to do it um and then you know i'm sure they'll tell their people about it and And smitty
1: forgive me but you're alluding to (laughs) woods and Forests being the certifier
0: Being there? the
1: what you broke up. Oh, so things yeah. lagging on me. No, I was saying you, you were alluding to Woods and Forest possibly being the certifier or, or of this, you know, master class or whatever.
0: Uh not necessarily. Just basically saying, like, hey, here's something we're trying to do. You guys are already into this kind of thing. Like, if you're interested, let's talk about it and, and make something happen. And yeah. Not necessarily the, the master gardener or master naturalist classes themselves, but the people involved in that. You know, oh sure! of it. sure. Like, it's already yeah. a, a core group and a core club and then um you know i get even the thing that comes to mind for me is like if you can talk to your local 4-h groups or even your scouts groups and stuff and say hey if you guys have any interest this is something we're doing um you know it'd be a, a good good a good thing to, to get yeah some i think i think it's a great mind. idea
2: is it's my internet idea. lagging or am i good am i good this time i think no it's it's 100
0: percent mine it's mine okay, okay. <laughs> hard playing their weak games with me
1: <laughs> yeah and i know we had we had brought up frog watch uh before <clears throat> excuse me and i know they do a i don't want to call it a certification but you take their class they teach you how to use the software they want you to go out in the field and record calls or try and i mean obviously i naturalist now they have frog and toad calls on iNaturalist, which is crazy to me i love it um but is that something that you would want to possibly do a collaboration with something like them, or is that too, too often left field?
2: I think that frog watch is fantastic with what they do. I I think that they're incredible. Now I have not partnered with them. I know we have a board member up in Erie who works, they work with the zoo up there and there's potential that if I return to Erie at some point to go looking for Northern leopard frogs, um, at one of the state parks that we could get in because of frog watch because of their blessing because of the work we're trying to do so no i i think they're fantastic and i would love to get a contact and and reach out to them and and talk to them because i think we have a way to complement each other um we could very well create a database and show where a radius of uh different amphibians are existing if we want to just say frogs you know we could show where However many of the species that we're focusing on exist, like maybe even you know showcase their abundance and with the drone imagery, we could show habitat like if it's declining or if it's improving, like what enhancements are being made. So I would be very open to working with Frog Watch. Um, I think the problem is right now, we don't have enough people that are able to go and make these types of business conversations so it limits what we could do if i wasn't a grad student full-time i think it would work out where i could just be on the phone all day making these because that's that's a lot of what it is but uh and i don't i like that i'm fine with like you know being a businessman for this nonprofit, like being a promoter you know you got to hype it up and i would love to sit in those meetings and talk with those people but um at the moment I'm not like if I got them contacting me first, that's a whole different ball game. Obviously I'm not saying like I'm that important. They need to worry about me, but
1: yeah. 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 That's great, man. um On this, on, I, I don't know if this is shifting gears or not. I know. Smithy went to go redo his router, but uh, it, you, you had shown us in the past, the, the improvised ponds and how you plant the grasses. And basically like the, the startup of it is there any designs in the woodworks for a similar concept that's maybe catered more towards toads specifically or salamander species specifically you know uh, is there thoughts in the pipeline for okay uh, we want to have more tiger salamanders you know what how do we how do we bring back tiger salamanders to this suburban neighborhood right is there any ideas or plans for the next type of micro backyard conservation?
2: That's a great question. So it's going to be, if anything, so to give the viewers some context, um, I'm in a region of Southwestern Pennsylvania where we're in the mountains and the Eastern gray Tree Frog, ironically enough, as it's usually very common, is very hard to find. And we were the first to document it in two counties in high elevation, which really flipped the script on what we thought about it in the state being more of a valley species Uh, with it now being known to exist in the mountains. um, I want to create habitat and see if we can draw it out because where they're reproducing, I don't personally believe in, in two of the three populations is sustainable because we found them where they have just done, timber harvesting and there are giant cavities in the ground and the grass is regrowing and stuff and there's manure all over the place so you know that's seeping into the the pools of water and not not helping them in any way um so what i would what i like what i would like to do and what i'm trying to accomplish for this year is putting in the habitat and seeing if we can draw them out because the first target species was the wood frog in suburban neighborhoods so trying to get a wood frog to show up in a place where there's no tree canopy no cover is almost like finding a needle in a haystack they typically from research don't try to do that they're not trying to cross streets and go in backyards unless you live next to the woods so it's i'd, I'd spent a few years in research and i understood what the um the risks were you know you could reintroduce green frogs or newts and that's what eats wood frogs and others so thankfully from my house being the prototype We were able to get multiple generations now, three years worth of egg clutches from wood frogs, and we've created an area that they feel safe in. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, But now I want to see what about the other target species. So the Eastern Gray Tree Frog would make sense to be next because it's one of our biggest discoveries. Uh, So we're going through the process right now to figure out what shrubs are native and what plants are native. Because think about it, the Gray Tree Frogs, are gonna be relying on shrubs, not, not wildflowers, to um, feel safe when they're coming down to call. So we wanna make sure we have some type of shrubs in the area and then we also wanna make sure that bees are there because, you know, tree frogs are probably going to go after bees and stuff that's landing really close to where they're sleeping. Um, at least that's from what a lot of the literature says that they go after stuff in their trees makes a lot of sense. So if they come down and they're nesting in a bush to, to sleep, the, you know, the day away, then good chance that, you know, we'll, we will, um, see them interacting in the habitats. But, you know, the only way we'll really prove this proof of concept is if we build it and they come.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome. And how do they, I, I I find it fascinating because when you think of tree frogs, you don't think of higher altitude, you know, semi-montane cold weather, Northeastern yep. amphibians, you know? So are they wintering inside the tree bark? Do they have a particular type of tree that they winter in? You know, you'd mention them coming down into the shrub, into the scrub bushes and stuff for uh, breeding and feeding in, in certain times of the year, but what... And again, if I'm if I'm pushing too far, and this is kind of top secret stuff, you know, stop me. But what are some of the ideas of how to make a, a, I mean, for lack of a better word, a bat box for your gray tree frogs?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and you're definitely not pushing too far. I, I would like to throw this out there. In a way, you could say that we're cheating because we know they're already there. So. It's not it would be a whole different ballgame if I just decided to go out in the middle of nowhere and say, I'm going to put a habitat here and they show up. That would be first. It would be lucky. And second, it would be like, okay, there's that's pretty special. But uh, for this situation, we know where they're at and we're trying to build habitat adjacent to where they breed to try and persuade them that, hey, we have something better for you to breed in rather than these random puddles that you're exposed in the middle of a field because even though they blend in perfectly on the ground with their, you know, they could change color. So they turn green to blend in with all the grass, just the act of moving through. um, It seems like raccoons are a major predator to them. So how could we provide them some type of cover? I'm thinking it has to do with, uh, you know, the shrubs because they, if they get high enough up and it's in a smaller shrub, yeah, maybe the raccoon gets lucky and it, it figures out how to, bend the branch or something, but is that really going to happen all the time? You know? So I think the shrubs are a safe place. And then the more vegetation around them that they can hide in is another key to it. Uh, But I think honestly, there's two different aspects to creating the habitat that aren't dangerous to give away at all. I think the first one, it's not scientifically proven yet, but I I could potentially go this way and research after I graduate. To give you an example of this, American toads try to avoid reproducing where wood frogs are, where their tadpoles are, because the wood frog tadpoles eat the toad tadpoles. Oh wow! The same is true for gray tree frogs. So where the American toads usually reproduce is where you find where the gray tree frogs reproduce, because the toads have already deemed it safe. So toad and gray tree frog tadpoles are both not they're both not carnivores. They eat vegetation. They won't eat each other generally unless they die. But um, in creating a habitat, we have to manage what happens if wood frogs show up since I've proven that it's yeah. a good wood frog habitat. right? So there might need to be two pools or three pools. So that way we can mitigate the wood frogs. <laughs> we don't want to take away the wood frogs breeding in the area because that's a good thing. But we also want to see... What happens if we have an empty... So we might have to cheat. We might have to move the tadpoles of the wood frogs to a different pool and let the gray tree frogs have at it if, if they will find ours and think of it as suitable.
1: That's awesome. And then these areas that the timber companies come in and, and, and take in all the timber out, is there plans from either the, the timber companies or the state to replant those areas, or is it just now it's a field?
2: It's a good question. I don't know if it's... Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of funny because some of the habitat that I'm doing stuff with the frogs is um, wait and see type work where they've yeah. done timber harvesting or they've done like I don't uh, forgive me what it's called but it's like very like the top of the s- surface mining I guess is what it's called for coal. Sure. They're, get, they're getting that as well. Uh, so some of these habitats have been degraded and they've taken all that they could get out of them. So now what's going to happen is anybody's best guess
1: sure sure so. i just know we we recently saw in in um, uh osceola national forest there is a ton of timber uh, harvest and tons of logging and some of the areas they replanted and some of the areas they didn't and you could see that it's been you know eight nine ten years whatever it is and you're starting to get these little four foot trees that are just naturally coming in and that's that's awesome but if you do it too much it's not going to you're not going to have enough time to do like as of right now there's still enough forest for species to have an easement or, or 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 you know corner jumping so to speak where they can still traverse and go from wood patch to wood patch to wood patch and kind of avoid these these stripped out areas but if you're talking about non-state land that's you know uh, or privately owned i think it'd be a lot more difficult if there's not some kind of if, if, if you're not doing what you're doing and no one's replanting the trees I, I i imagine it'd be way more difficult
2: yeah you know one of the spots where we've been i've been working in for like the it'll be six years now i'm starting ironically to notice ticks are moving in because of the vegetation so i just find that to be interesting where it's a location for five years zero percent chance of ticks and last year lo and behold it's like 50 50 whether you get them or not. And, and so that's a, a sort of a scary thing where even if you have completely stripped all of the vegetation in five or six years, if it comes back, if there's like, you're saying, if there's enough forest around it, uh, does that mean it becomes now a tick breeding site? Like, is it a hot, uh, hot space for chicks to gather? I hope not. But I mean, I guess I'll, I'll find my answer out this spring. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and the possums will just be in full force,
2: <laughs> and then they're a predator of frogs. So yeah. then it's like, oh, geez, like what happens with that? Yeah, it's it's interesting how all of this happens and works yeah. together.
1: It's all connected, man. It's crazy. Yeah, and and I I brought up the whole bat box thing because I I don't remember where I saw it, but somebody somewhere made a uh, basically a giant. I don't want to say giant, probably, you know, five feet tall and probably three feet wide, but it was lightweight shingles that were interlaced so that frogs could go, tree frogs specifically, I think it was green tree frogs, could go into, in between each shingle and get protection. And obviously you're going to have things like mud wasps make nests and stuff like that. You'll have spiders and stuff, but the frogs will go in between the shingles, the adult frogs, and then below it was a, a, a basin that would collect rainwater and had a grill on top with sh- with cover. So if the frogs wanted to lay their eggs in that standing water, they could. That's Predators awesome. couldn't get at the tadpoles. And I, I'm sure some things got eaten. Some things the probably ate each other. Yeah, well, but no, but it's, <laughs> there's no mosquitoes because the tadpoles are eating the larva.
2: And the tree frogs would be eating the mosquitoes too.
1: Exactly. So, and I know that there was an idea of, of doing more of them. I can't remember where I saw it, but I didn't know if... You guys had looked into something like that, you know what I mean, in terms of your great tree frog thing, or if it's yeah. simply just trying to re rebuild the landscape, you know.
2: Well, I would love to see that if you can also share that with me. I think that'd be fantastic to incorporate. Yeah, I, I gotta
1: find it. It was a long time ago.
2: Yeah, that uh let me tell let me share something <laughs> with you guys that I found out more consistently this year, uh, or I guess 2023, but I found out that great tree frogs, if there's abandoned birdhouses, we'll go and utilize them so oh, they'll just, you know like blue jays or bluebirds or whatever like just different birdhouses if there's no occupants they'll just move in so that's great yeah i didn't so i read about it on different forums i was just scanning the internet late at night and was like oh huh, i wonder about this topic so it's funny i found all these different comments it's it's far and few but whenever uh you see the great tree frogs doing it it's it's well documented in these comments of some of these forums but wouldn't you wouldn't you know it was like a month or two later, the frog and toad Facebook group that I manage, somebody got a picture of a great tree frog with feathers, and they they're very innocently asking, is this a problem for the frog or is this a new species? <laughs> like you know, what what am I seeing here? Yeah, yeah. Evolution it was great. At, at hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a pterodactyl frog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. The frogs
0: are flying. It's happening.
2: Yeah. What, what are the odds though that I just, you know, that's the first time in years that somebody posts a picture like that. I have not seen it on our group. And I just thought that was awesome that, you know, I'm searching for an answer and it's like, look, here it is. Like they do it. It may may not be like as common, but some frogs are pretty clever and they figure it out.
1: Sure. Sure. It reminds me of, uh, you know, you see those uh, white tree frogs in Australia where someone has like an old outhouse and they go in the outhouse and they lift up the toilet tank and there's just like. 500 adult white tree frogs <laughs> <laughs> just living in the toilet tank. Uh, I've
2: seen, I've seen down in your area, isn't it Cuban tree frogs will hide in chimes and stuff. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Cubans <laughs> are everywhere. Anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Then there's, there's like two or three that are outside of my fiance's porch. And I try to, I try to get close enough to get good photos to see if I can like tell which ones are which. Cause there's like three or four of them, three or four adults that are there. But it's also fascinating because, these certain tree frog species there's there's no standing water locally to her porch i mean the closest body of water is probably maybe 200 yards away so it makes you wonder you know where is the standing water is are they using the gutters is it uh, the the pan at the bottom of the gutter is it under Mm -hmm. the gutters so very fascinating
2: you know i think too what would be funny is these weather stations, they have these like little cups. They almost look like a funnel and they're just a little bit elevated. I'm not sure that they're elevated enough for a tree frog to get in, but if it just happened to push it and figure out that it could get underneath, I mean, it could possibly even create a habitat where they could hide in the weather station and we would never know. Oh,
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was in college, there was a, a weather thing on the side of the building and they had like the graduated cylinders to so you you'd visually go out every day and look at how much water was in there you know twice a day or three times a day and it's all students doing it so college didn't care but you never saw any kind of bugs or frogs or anything in them because they're just sitting in the sun and it's just this hot this very very warm glass of rainwater and I imagine that the stations but you have are very different from that but we never had any of that stuff done by me.
2: Yeah, underneath. So it's almost like it's almost like my cup here. Let me see. There's my camera. It's not even following me. I paid what all this money. And, oh, hold on a second.
0: Track me. What flavor is
2: that? Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's why I paid all the money for this camera. Now I'm gonna give everybody. Apple <laughs> <laughs> Abel- there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is Glacier Freeze. Oh yeah, that's a good one. All right, Gatorade sponsor these guys now uh <laughs> and, and cucumber lime flavor is the bomb let's get Gatorade to sponsor you guys yeah
1: right if only
2: <laughs> that'd be sweet um so anyway I was I was talking about this as an example so think of it like this oh wait okay yeah it just like went away from me maybe I shouldn't have asked it to
0: track me it might be a so, ghost in there or something dude <laughs> there could be
2: so you set the lid right on top okay and imagine a hole. In the lid so it would funnel in and we would be able to track how much water is running through so there's a there's like a compartment here where all of the technology is and it's shaded it's very dark and before we got a frost i saw spiders earwigs and moths and everything was wow. sleeping in there just hiding from the frost so yeah. if they could get in and they could find it i'm thinking well maybe a gray tree frog could too
1: sure absolutely absolutely
2: with it being shaded i mean it's it's and it's uh open so the wind will move through as well i I don't know it'll just be interesting if we find one i'll let you know if one does hang out in there
0: very cool there was a little tiny green either a green or a squirrel tree frog i don't know exactly which one but uh on like the the panels for garage door openers that you type in the code and it opens it up yeah has a little cover for weeks, there was this tiny little tree frog that lived in, in that thing. I don't know how he got in and out of it, honestly, because it wasn't like it stayed open all the time. Like it stayed closed. And this little tree frog, man, he was like every time I went to, to open it up to go into the garage for something like he was just hanging out in there. <laughs> and it was just to crack me up every time because he just was like nothing in there for him. But that was his, you know, that was a spot.
2: He's your friend. Yeah, he was hanging out with you for the day. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Squirrel tree frogs surprise you. I've seen them when I went on vacation down in South Carolina, it was during, um, uh, even before hurricanes, you just see them hiding in the parking garages all the time. They're just, oh yeah, they're just funny, you know, hiding in fences and stuff. Yeah, It's, it's just cool to see because where I'm from, we don't have a lot of variety of tree frogs. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you either see great tree frogs doing stuff or you don't see anything. And in my region, like I said, they're very rare. So, it's just different to hear, you know, some of these stories.
0: Yeah, dude, they're everywhere here. And like, I, I've, I've only seen two barking tree frogs, which are probably my favorite species that we have here just because of the size they get. Um, That's a beautiful but tree they are, frog. They're yeah. really cool. Like yeah. I've, I haven't found like a massive adult, but I've found some decent size ones and they're just, they're really cool. And I actually, a couple of weeks ago when we had sort of a, a, stint of warmer weather we i had one of the the biggest greens that i've probably ever seen hanging out on my front door on my glass door because we keep a light on the porch so of course during the summer and spring months man there's an army of them just hanging out right under that light zap <laughs> mods and stuff um but I, I really wish i found more of those those barkers because they are really
2: really cool supposedly and i believe this they're the largest of the eastern tree frogs like native i know the cubans oh yeah than without longer. a doubt yeah yeah I think they're uh, they could emigrate into Pennsylvania possibly. I know that sounds wild, but the USDA uh, updated the growing zones, so I think southeastern PA, like Bucks County, is very close to the end range. I don't know if it's the green tree frog or the barking tree frog; they're both in Maryland, um, but one of them, I think, if things keep warming, I think one of them will become native, incidentally, to Pennsylvania, which would be interesting to see. You know, how are they going to do? new species to compete. i have not
0: seen any cubans up here yet which is kind of surprising because i would have figured by now i would have i would have seen at least some but
1: i feel like they are very much susceptible to frost
2: yep yeah that's what i've seen is that although i don't know if you heard about this phil but apparently they made their way into texas somehow and oh uh, it's not surprising they've been invading parts of texas that people didn't think they could get into because of the cold. So if they get to South Carolina because they were on plants or whatever, if they hide out in a greenhouse or if they would hide out like near somebody's uh heat pipes, you know. Oh yeah. There's a possibility they could establish. It yeah, and it's it, it's
1: always call. from it's always from shipping containers. That's like that's the easiest way, you
2: know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have an yeah. we have an invasive lizard here, the Italian wall lizard. Have you guys oh, heard about that lizard? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact that it could survive here is unbelievable, and it's also in what is it Central Park? It's in like some of the most urban places in New York. Yeah, they have, they have. They have
1: one, one of the species that's on the 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 old. It's like a, a the nippers going to kill me, but it's like a two or three hundred <laughs> year old wall in London around the London Zoo. And there's oh this, yeah, I remember yeah. About that. Yeah, and there's there's one of the species that is just on that one wall. That's it.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I guess I could say this, too, while we're at it with, with the nonprofit stuff. I, I hope that people will get a chance to see one of the most uh, – it's brutal, but it's a necessary thing that I do, and that's like road rescues. I've been trying for years to get people out and – actually see what this looks like on a night, like even if it was one night or a nightly basis for a week, like, you know, watching these animals that we care about getting hit, you know, and becoming pancakes or just smashed um, the brutality of what that looks like. And the Nessa, nece- the, the necessity of somebody being out there, even if they're not making a tremendous difference, but still saving one or two frogs at a night, you know, I think is still worth it. Um, I'm hoping this guy from the media will go out with me to look uh, because I, I just think that would be mm-hmm. like, he's looking for a new angle for it this year. And I think that's it. I've been trying for years for people to see this on behind the scenes type stuff. Cause it looks, you know, I, I try to be mindful. I don't want to show like smashed and brut- brutalized mm-hmm. uh, animals, but at some point, you know, I've started to kind of play with the idea like, you know if i do show it people realize like why i'm out there it's not like all the feel-good stuff
1: yeah and, and if it was puppies or kitty cats it'd be different and it's the same thing
2: yeah so
1: just because it's not cute and cuddly doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve to be there and has was there way before us
2: you know
0: I don't know, man spadefoot toads are pretty cute <laughs> Oh, i know they're adorable <laughs> they're adorable.
2: they're amazing yeah yeah i love them too so yeah I just I think that would be uh, a great story to tell for the news media if they would cover that, because nobody's really thinking about that when we talk about conservation or we talk about these different projects like, oh, what's going on on the road? I mean, I'm literally running out. It's almost like Chinese fire drill. I'm running out, grabbing the, the frog or the salamander, running back to the car. So a nobody hits me, and then b nobody hits my car. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I have a bin, and I have to take these animals either across the street, or it could be like around a mile away, you know, and taking them to a another breeding ground or somewhere close by. And, and it's not always an easy night, especially because it could be raining heavy or it could mm-hmm. be thunderstorm. You know what I mean? So there's so many variables in this, and i'm a guy who's dressed in probably all black and brown or camo and i have a headlight you know i don't look like somebody you want to uh invite in to have some tea and talk about sports with i look like somebody that's probably going to rob you so (laughs) (laughs) it all just it's a it's a very uh fascinating adventure and i do it a lot and that's tough that's the toughest part about it you gotta
1: you gotta do the west texas thing and just cover yourself in neon highlighter reflector stuff like a a road worker you know (laughs) and then dude and I tell you I've I I've heard I've had friends that dressed like road workers at night with reflective green and orange everything and even put out like they brought cones with them so that's cool. that's
2: an interesting idea
1: and like and and they're out in off the beaten path They're not on private property. They're not on public land. They're on a major furrowway, but if they're on the shoulder, they'll put the cones out. They have their reflective vests on. They have their headlamps. And people in Florida, it's illegal to pass a um, uh, emergency personnel vehicle, whether it be road ranger or highway patrol or whatever. It's illegal to pass them at speed. You have to change lanes or you have to slow down to what they deem a safe, you know, mile per hour. And people will slow down because they think it's a construction worker. And even something like that is helping that road, even if it's just for the night. It's slowing people down and and making them aware of what's going on in front of them.
2: It's a good idea, but I would be concerned um, because I kind of did something like this. And there was a truck that went on to the other side of the road. And the female wood frog that got out to try to save was hopping. And it's like, oh man, he just, he smashed her. So that's the only risk is like, well, you could do all that. And still the animal could still hop away or hop out in front of the other vehicle. So it's a, it's a hard thing. I'll definitely keep that in mind though. I think that's a great idea. Um, The other thing I should also say is my, my, um, uh, what do you want to call it? my territory that i i or my turf. route my route my turf yeah exactly i encompass Circuit. i encompass three counties and it's about an hour and a half if i want to complete an all-in-one like oh, one wow. one drive so i mean i could definitely do that but with how fast paced how much i'm moving um that's another concern
1: so, yeah, I mean they're putting the cones out because they're they're photographing the snake on the side of the road, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but but even still, if you just had one of those reflective vests, yeah, for when for when you're out of the car, it'd be probably more safe for you, and it's gonna get people to slow down even for the hot minute, you know.
2: I i agree with you. Um and they, look, look. they look
0: cool as hell, too. Yeah, right, <laughs> stylish.
2: <laughs> so I actually had a police officer at the one location, uh, he's seen me there for years and he actually comes out herping with me while he's on the job. I'm not going to give out his name so he doesn't get in trouble, but that's I don't know great. the guy. I don't know the guy personally. I just yeah. know him, like during the field season, he's always like, Hey, you get in trouble. Just call him probably a couple miles away. He, but he, I feel safe out there and it's like a place you can get lost, but I'm like, Oh, this guy like knows I'm here. Like I'm, I'm yeah, good. So anyway, good. <clears throat> he told me, that it was, I think, three years ago somebody, it was an old retired teacher, a science teacher, got out to help a salamander cross the road, and his wife was in the passenger seat, and it was around a bend, and he got hit and he died. And the Jeez. cop the cop was like, "Listen, I know you have good intentions, but some stuff isn't worth it. It's like a business decision. if you don't if you don't prioritize your life in some of these situations, then you're gonna die. He's yeah. like, people won't stop. so, That's the other thing is like trying to not put yourself in that position. And if you do, you know, what kind of a risk are you trying to take? Sure.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Well, on to more (coughs) captive herpetoculture. Yeah. Talk about our girl Ace.
2: Yeah. Legend. She's Legend. hands down. There's so much to talk about with that right now. Um, I'll say this. I had no idea by putting her in the big tank that she would become gravid. So she's carrying eggs. And I want to know, I guess I want to solicit some free opinions here, but I have some very intelligent people in my network um, on both sides of this. So I have a herpetologist and the vet saying she needs to get the eggs out of her at all costs. The vet's like, Oh, we can fix her essentially. Uh, nobody agrees with that, but there's one herpetologist who said he, he was the herp- herpetologist at the Bronx zoo. So he's a very educated guy. There's a guy at the Omaha zoo and one of my mentors and some, who else? There was some third person. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, so it was a three to two vote. And, and the other three herpetologists are like, let her just do her thing. Like if she's going to release the eggs, let her release them. If a male is going to grab her in the tank, let that go. Like, uh, so we had tried to use hormones because I don't know how, I don't know at at my household, if I'm just, uh, if I know exactly the right conditions, because a, a previous toad Navi had become gravid and she had some problems. We found out through ultrasound and the doctor, uh, shot her up with a hormone and didn't release the eggs doctor another month later shot her up with the same hormone and long story short that toad had to pass away because there was a lot of internal problems I don't right now feel comfortable with gambling with the hormone on aces life after what I had seen Um, but I'm open to what other people's ideas are so I don't know how how Deep into this, you guys know of things, but where are you guys at? Would you consider having her uh, spayed and guarantee she's going to live, which would be like a $3,000 surgery, or would you let nature take its course? Uh,
1: I'll go first, and I'll say that if money wasn't a factor, I still would let nature take its course, especially since you have a boyfriend for her and i've seen a lot of animals do a lot of crazy things and in terms of you know egg-bound and laying eggs and fertile infertile whatever but every time we try to mess with nature something hairy goes wrong and you 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 do everything in your power to make things as as correct and great as it can be and if it goes great great and if it doesn't well this is this is life but if it was my toad i would just let nature do its thing and i would i would i would try and get her to breed and produce and you know have her the next generation the next generation of genetics and yeah. and kind of go A-split. from there acelets yeah that that, <laughs> that would be my vote would be to would be to pair her up A-split. let her do her thing and and get as much data as you can Save as many tadpoles and eggs as you can and document the whole thing. That would would be my vote.
2: That's what I would love to do is to get her to lay those eggs. Get rid of them.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Smitty.
0: I'm confused. If she. She she won't pass the eggs if there isn't a male.
2: So it's a very I'll I'll try to be very good with hopefully explaining this. So there's a couple of scenarios. The first one is the doctor originally thought that she would pass the eggs, like actually poop them out if uh, if there were no males or if there were males and she just got rid of them. It doesn't appear that that's how it works. Um, what happens from what I understand is uh, she could reabsorb the eggs or they'll rot um, if there were no males. If there are males, she could potentially lay the eggs. Um what it comes down to is basically will the eggs rot inside of her? And that's a really nasty picture to think of, but that's kind of what we're doing. So for Navi, the doctor injected her with two hormones originally thinking that, you know, she would just poop them out.
0: Yeah. It was like oxytocin or something where they would. Yeah. Just go.
2: And, and it, it wasn't the case, but here's what I also found. So American toads have the ability after a month to get re-stimulated and then to lay a second clutch. And Mm -hmm. this was from a scientific journal. So I'm thinking what happened to Navi could be that she had a double egg clutch. Like she had another one come in and they were fertilized, over fertilized, starting to rot and starting to shut her organs down because of the, how much weight she had put on. That was the problem. Ace is not in that situation. Um, she's uh this would be an interesting segue but i had found from what i always had thought was right was to give them what's best so i have a reverse osmosis system and i have all these different bells and whistles for these animals what i found was the reverse osmosis system no matter how much scientific research i did and how i tweaked it it made my a lot of my frogs and toads uh, have fluid buildup so i actually had to go back to the tap water and i had to understand uh the tap water has a lot of hardiness and it's hard it's hard water what they're what they're used to mm-hmm. higher pH and minerals yeah. and stuff right yeah, the r o so, is
1: taking all the minerals out
2: yeah uh I thought you get rid of all of the pollutants all of the toxins anything and you know all the chemicals and they'd be healthier right that doesn't seem to be what is right. That seems to be, okay, that's the best case scenario, but it doesn't seem to be right for these animals. So yeah. I had to switch her off to tap water, and like she doesn't even look like she's carrying eggs. So could she have already reabsorbed them? I'm not exactly sure. But what I can say is she looks exactly the way that she did when she first entered the 242-gallon. So I think we're in a good spot, personally. Yeah. I think I think that she's going to reabsorb them. And who's to say that she didn't already years ago? I mean, this isn't this toad's first rodeo in a massive tank. She's lived in three different uh, generations of my creation. so And she lived with other males. So who's to say that she didn't get gravid at one point? She's like eight years old now. So, yeah. you know, three, four years ago, living in another tank. Like, yeah, why didn't she develop eggs and pass them? Why, why couldn't that have happened? Well,
1: and here's my thing, too, is that enclosure that you have is absolutely breathtakingly amazing just with the the rain and the lightning and and all the plant life and the leaf litter and the substrate and the bioactivity to it but forgive me if i'm mistaken but she could have passed the remnants of eggs in small deposits in undergrowth that we never see and your springtails and isopods could have eaten that rotten yeah eggs and we'd never know so yeah she may have passed them and we just had no idea at the same time have you ever thought of doing um uh the light diffuser pvc pipe rain chamber that the guys who breed southern toads do
2: i was looking into that i think Man, that
1: I, I feel like if she was if she was really gravid and she was looking for a place to just ditch the eggs if you had stuffed her in there i mean she may have at least dumped half of them you know yeah. who knows or, or some of
2: them that's a, re- a really good idea. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna start looking into that a little bit more too. The original goal was if she'd lay them, lay them in the tank, but um, I don't want to get I don't want to bet her life on it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing.
1: And, here, and here's the thing too: is as cool as it would be. In in and this is strictly anecdotal. This is strictly my opinion. As cool as it would be to have her breed in the tank, lay in the tank, have the tadpoles just stay in the tank, like that would be so cool, man. And to document it all but i feel like it would be less of a pain in the ass and more controlled if you paired them in a rain chamber had her lay in an aquatic chamber that way you can just remove her and the male the tadpoles are already in the tank and just now now she's back in her amazing enclosure and you've got full control over the offspring
2: yeah i think that's a a great way to look at it um justin i don't want to keep you out of the conversation oh yeah yeah sorry
0: man
2: (laughs) you're just kind of sitting there no i
0: mean i i i agree with phil um it's you know if if she's gonna have eggs and they're gonna be there kind of regardless you know then i wouldn't i wouldn't really fight it either um I do agree with Phil on the on the rain chamber thing as well. Um, yeah. As far as the water quality, what I did with dart frogs, um, which is kind of apples to oranges, I guess, but um, I have one of those bigger pure filters um, that holds probably like a gallon. And I would just run my water, my tap water through that. And I, I raised tadpoles in that. Um, that's what I missed it on my tanks with like... I never had any issues with that, and, water. and
1: you didn't. You that didn't put water. any water conditioner for your no, yeah. It was just a no. pure filter. Yeah, it was
0: just the pure filter. Uh, yeah. and I had no issues. I didn't have have froglets growing. You know, fourth. You know, fifth limbs, whatever. <laughs> um, no weirdness at all. Everything was fine. I had no issues with the adults. Um, so maybe it's just a matter of like that's kind of a nice happy medium between the just the the tap water as is and then the RO stuff. Uh, yeah, you know that at least gets some of the. hardness out of it Um,
2: yeah i tried to look at all that all those different options and you know dart frogs are definitely equipped to deal with soft water um i think though this is this just seems to be in my opinion one of those cases where there's no research on it right and and i think that because i'm a guy who goes to bogs and i see pitcher plants and sphagnum moss and cranberries and I think I got an answer as to why the American toads and the wood frogs aren't there in the summertime. It, maybe they're laying their eggs there, but the adults don't seem to hang around. And I didn't really understand why that was. Like in all these years of going out doing field research, well, maybe it's because they don't—they can't handle that kind of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they're sensitive to it as well at, at a certain point. And what I've done is m- opened up my animals to that and expose them to that so that's why there's like fluid build up and somewhat i mean they're getting it out it, it, i don't want people to think they're like massively bloated it's just we noticed there was a small amount and when i switched them off of it everybody looks like they're jacked up basically but yeah you,
1: you notice a slight you, you notice water retention yeah and that's probably because the, the 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 water that was presented to them was probably not as optimal as they would prefer yeah and I also think it's very interesting that, that you'd mentioned the hardness and the pH plays a factor in all that jazz, right? Talking about – I've never bred frogs. Smitty's got way more experience than I do in that regard and saying how a lot of the South American stuff, dart frogs and stuff, they can handle softer water. But So I've got my little, my little mangrove fish tank, right? And it's purely fresh water, and it's only five gallons. But I've been only using – fiji bottled water and with the live plants and the fish living in there and now i've got like these copepod things going crazy in there it's it's wild the ph has barely risen even though i'm I'm, because i'm using fiji it's exactly 7.0 it's barely risen to like maybe 7.5 7.8 but the hardness has just increased and it keeps increasing to the point where now I may have to start to do more water changes because of the hardness factor. And I know that some of that is going to be sitting in the, into the, the sediment at the bottom and whatnot, but it doesn't, how do I phrase this? When we were talking to Cody Joe about his stingrays and talking about how they acclimate to whatever's there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like the toads and frogs may want something that is adequate for their offspring but at the same time may acclimate to it because that's all they got yeah i mean there
0: has to be some level of adaptability to it otherwise they'd be extinct right Right.
1: exactly and i also feel like you know you've got your water basin built into that enclosure you've you've got your your filtration and your pumps and everything but what would happen if you just stuck a Tupperware with like some spring water, like bought, like, you know, from the grocery store, bottled spring water, you know, $3 for a case. And you just put a little Tupperware container with just spring water, you know, it's already treated. It's got minerals, you know, it's, 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 it's got good, it's good pH. And maybe that would just be the one thing to set it over.
2: That's a great point. I've, I've considered that. I think one of the things I want to do moving in a different direction for the tank is I want to get some kind of a, some, some kind of like enclosed smaller bin. And I want to do it just what you're saying, especially with having a canister filter. You know, I think that we can really purify the water in a good way for the animals to get a lot of like bacteria and stuff out. Um, it's funny that you talk about Fiji water. Yeah, that's like the premium stuff, man. You're you're sparing Hill no expense there. Phil yeah, doesn't play when it comes to Fiji <laughs> water, man. Well,
1: well, uh, and here's the running. You
2: yeah, got to get them as a sponsor, Phil. I've
1: been trying, man. <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been trying for like two years, bro. They're not about it. They, I'm pretty sure I'm blocked on Instagram because I keep tagging them and shit. But. <laughs> And, and people people make jokes you know chris sanchez god bless him he says phil's mangrove tank has an 800 credit score and thinks mayo is spicy it's like <laughs> i love you chris but you're an asshole um, <laughs> um and i know he's probably texting me as we speak pictures of fiji bottles but no i buy it on amazon by the case and i get uh i think it's 12 500 milliliter bottles and it's like 32 bucks and yeah. that lasts me at least two months you know what i mean and yeah. it, and I like it because i'm controlling exactly what's going in there and i realize now that over the years of keeping certain aquatics when i kept Dumeril's monitors and i was checking the water for them and my freshwater fish tanks that i had even when i was a kid and i worked at pet supermarket and i took care of the fish there you have your different types of fish tank testing kits right And some people say strips are great. And some people say strips are crap. And, oh, you got to do the dropper. And, oh, you have to buy a Marineland complete kit because it has an individual test for nitrates and an individual test for nitrites and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, you should always, you should check the saline levels in your fresh water just in case. Like, get the hell out of here. Has Nerds. Have you ever bought, and and again, I'm just spitballing here. Have you ever bought a container of fish tank test strips and when you're out in the field just dunk it in a puddle you see <laughs> you see two or three you know american toads you know sitting around this pool and you just take your test strip it literally it says on the on the thing you know insert into water right below surface swirl for 2 seconds and remove like and you can i bet you get a ton of data doing that
2: yeah isn't this crazy though like think about this like think about the conversation we're having we're talking about like these rescued pets that are from our our country that a guy who's in the herb culture is keeping like, this is just crazy to think. Cause how many times are we talking like about exotics and like how many people get the chance to go and, and do this kind of research for exotics? Sure, they, They'd have to save up all this money to go and, and find out what their animals are doing. But yeah, you know, that's actually something that the vet had uh, asked me to do because <clears throat> the guys who I reach out to in the different network that I have, they always talk in terms of meta populations. Well, meta populations don't help us whenever we don't exactly know what's a good average. Like what's the weight of an American toad or a wood frog or how many insects should they eat? What's the water quality? Like Justin was talking about, um, you know, bogs and that they do have a tolerance to it, but what about like vernal pools or ponds? Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I've been actually trying to do that since last year. But if I were to do water quality, you'd have to take it probably three times during the year. You'd have to take it in the beginning. You have to take it when the tadpoles are laid, and then as the tadpoles are leaving. So that way you get a true readout of maybe finding an average and all that. Right. But but I agree 100%. And um, I think that it seems to average a seven or more in a lot of them in a lot of the habitats where the, even when the toads are, are there and they're not breeding, uh, but it would be really beneficial and you'd have to really get lucky. I've, I've gotten semi lucky on the wild, but you're literally just walking in the middle of the woods and there's a puddle and the toad is just, just taking a break, you know, just like hanging out, chilling in the puddle. That would be the puddle to really investigate because that toad is an adult. It's out out of the season. Like he's in there because obviously he, he trusts that it's safe. mm mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect of this too, when we're talking about, you know, keeping these types of animals in captivity, we had a good question, she had a good question and we had a good back and forth, but you know, what exactly does a, does, you know, Phil, this would be for you too. What is an average weight for your animals look like? How do we know that it's not overweight or underweight? Um, and I don't know that, I don't know that she had the answer for this, but, let me, ask, let me play devil's advocate. When do you think would be the ideal time to measure the weight of a frog or a toad uh, that you want to try to average your animals to weigh as? Like, what's When do you think during the season would be the time to weigh an animal, I guess, to try to get a baseline average weight before and after breeding?
1: I, I would say throughout the year. I, I would say at least once or twice a month, two or three days after a feeding now it's difficult if you're feeding the animal like something like a toad you're maybe feeding it every day or every other day but maybe have a two or three day gap where you're not feeding it's not going to do anything to the animal they'll be perfectly fine and then you can get a a a poopless weight if you will you know (laughs) what i mean it's already digested whatnot but you're you're checking for an entire year straight and now you have something to cross-reference for the next year that that would be my guess but I would also go with Smitty. What he said
0: too. Well, I'm saying if we're talking about measuring wild toads, I want to get a weight before and after breeding because obviously, if you're doing one without the other, then the chances of those those numbers being skewed is going to be kind of higher because you don't know if it's a you know a female that had just laid and so she's she's lower in weight than what she normally would uh, would be. And then before kind of going in, kind of let you know are they are they really beefing themselves up ahead of time. Um, you're looking at a a natural diet. So something that isn't gut loaded, um, something that isn't, you know, supplemented or anything like that. It's not fed captive diets. It's, it's as is, you know, what they're eating in the wild. Um, so, I mean, if it were me and that's what I'm trying to get a baseline for is just like, what are they supposed to be weighing naturally? Like in the wild, what's the average of cross, you know, 50 toads, uh, you know I'd, I'd want to know throughout the year would be good too if you could even find a female that's that's you know grab it or or what have you uh, yeah or even
1: if you just did it seasonal you know what I mean you go uh, uh you get two or three days of of hunting with your gram scale in your deli cup in uh September or October you do it again in March you do it again in July whatever you know average you out all
0: that data yeah yeah
1: yeah and you get a, a good idea and I mean, you 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 take a buddy with you, and one guy's got the deli cup, the other guy's got the gram scale. You know, every single toad you find, you throw them in the deli cup real quick. You get a weight and let them go.
2: So this is where it gets interesting. That's a great that's a great way to look at it. That would be ideal if you're going to weigh wild toads. However, there's a study that was done in the 1980s, I think. And it was either wood frogs or leopard frogs. I was researching them both at the same time. So I don't remember off the top of my head, which I think it was leopard frogs. Realistically, I think that's who they were talking about. So they had four different groups. They had leopard frogs that had brumated in the refrigerator. They had leopard frogs that did not brumate leopard frogs that brumated from the wild. Um, And I forget exactly what the fourth group was. It wasn't really relevant. Or maybe they had like a partial brumation or something. I'm not. I'm not sure. But anyway, what they found was the gut microbes in each of these animals was different. So they were all altered. They were not. No matter what you did, they were not the same as the wild leopard frog. So if we would think about that for a second, I guess the way I'm going with this as my hypothesis, anecdotally, I think the the real answer. When you're talking about keeping a frog or a toad in an artificial setting and you're not necessarily looking to brumate, you would have to be looking at when the animal is going to weigh the most. Because uh, in captivity, they have the ideal opportunity to put on weight and the ideal opportunity to always hunt. So if you were looking to brumate the animal, you would need to know what it weighs right out of spring. If you were looking to um try to manage it like you know rumation and then it's gonna breed and you can reassure it breeds and then it's active if you can do all of that which is a place i'm not at right now then yes you would definitely want to measure it the way you guys were saying but i think personally what is going to be the closest to an artificial type of a setting is whenever the conditions are completely ideal for an american toad um or a wood frog in the summer, right before the season's getting cold, you know, they're putting on all that weight and they're actively hunting. Cause we get a chance to see what they're doing from June to like September, October. And we get a chance to see how much they would weigh and uh, you know, how much they're, how much they're eating and kind of bring that into captivity. Because I can't think personally of another scenario that's as close to captivity as possible. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe a I'm wrong here, but this is just kind of my thoughts on it in terms of like, what's the closest part of the season that we can say is similar to captivity.
1: Well, I would imagine it would be probably in summer when your prey items are at their peak, right?
2: Yeah. That's why I make that that claim. Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of why I make that assumption because that would be, in my opinion, you know, what, what do we think is a fat toad? What do we think is a heavy toad? Well, obviously if that toad is that heavy and it's still functioning like it would, if it was 50 grams less or 20 grams less, then there's fluctuation. So we could see that that might be the the peak point. Like maybe it shouldn't weigh more than this. We would at least get a a situation where we can identify like, okay, you know, this is the cutoff before it's obese or before it would be fat considered fat. I think that's a a reasonable or a fair assessment to make.
1: Yeah, but wouldn't you wouldn't you also again anecdotal spitballing here? If it was me, I would want to try and gather as much your seasonal data to compare the weight ratios as a percentage. So if we know that bugs are at their peak in summer, right? So the the toad's going to be, it's fattest in summer, let's just say. And let's say it weighs 20 grams, okay? And then in spring, it's, I don't know, 12 grams or 10 grams, right? So we know that we don't want it to go below 10 grams, but we don't necessarily need it to be above 20 grams. You're trying to figure out if, hey, if I push it to 30 or 40 grams, is that going to be a health concern or is that just good for summer you know is that going to make the winter better but i feel like if you did the wild toad if you did a bunch of wild toads say 20 toads in in each season and you figured out the percentage of weight difference between each season being four seasons then you would really have an idea of what the ideal weight would be for your captive specimen per the time of year Did, did that make sense
2: that makes, that makes perfect sense. The only thing that I'm, I'd am I be concerned about, though, is like their body. So the microbes inside of them, what if we're trying to make them weigh a certain amount in spring, but their body isn't functioning that way? Um, so they might have, I'm just, like like you said, spitballing here, yeah. but what if they have some type of microbe in their gut since they're not brewmating? And if we try to put them, push them, you know, below a limit, or we're trying to, you know have them kind of go through these different weights but they're not getting the same uh exposure to sleep and to the fasting and stuff like that then I'm I'm wondering like what what does that mean could we be accidentally or like unintentionally starving them to a point where it becomes a problem um because they would weigh sig- significantly less after brumation without eating um and that would be my My concern. I mean, I've weighed them and I didn't get really good success. Uh, I think it was the gram scale. I don't necessarily think that it was what I was doing. Uh, I think the gram scale was faulty. I am going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I am going to, and I'll kind of get a feel for it to see what, what looks ideal. But I just thought, you know, talking with her, what's the most artificial or like closest thing whenever they're the, you know, they're stimulated to the peak, because that's what they are in captivity as well. well that's why I thought of and that. It's,
1: it's difficult to compare them to something like a lizard or a snake that we also keep because obviously <laughs> their bodies are very, very different. Their their ecology and the, the, their gut flora and all, all that's different. But you see so many squamates, for lack of a better word, that the keepers keep them on a regulated diet so that they don't become obese, Yeah, but they live their life perfectly fine and i'm sure there's a lot of amphibian keepers that are unknowingly doing the same thing so does the toad necessarily need those shifts in in weight and and gut flora and and stuff to 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 function their yearly cycle appropriately or is that just what's happening in the wild because that's what that's all they got
2: I just feel like ACE is a perfect example of an age old question that I had asked growing into this field was like, do they need to brumate for anything to happen significant? And it's like, well, there's possibilities that it helps them like live longer. Possibly. It's, it doesn't guarantee it. It's also a 50-50 risk that they don't wake up because toads are very prone to dying from bacterial infections and brumation. We've seen that in the Wyoming toad, but I don't think that they need it i mean how did ace get stimulated how did how did my toad navi who didn't even have water really like get stimulated if the conditions are right um i think that buffonids are just very incredible animals that seem like they'll be they're they're able to thrive no matter what
1: yeah i mean i also think that just to coincide what you just said your your other toad that you you jokingly said didn't even have water like they also know what's going on outside whether we whether we want to admit to it or not. And even animals that are from a different hemisphere where everything's reversed, right? You know, I I get a a brand new lizard that was fresh caught out of the wild in uh, Southern Africa, and now I have it in the Northern Hemisphere, and its seasons are flip-flopped. It got a a double summer this year, let's just say. (laughs) It may take it a year or two to adjust, but they know what's going on. And it, it almost goes back to that whole chameleons breathing in water vapor for moisture thing of like she may have felt the season change in the air that you and i can't fathom yeah even though you have air conditioning you have a heater in your house you know what i mean like you're keeping it optimal you add humidity you subtract humidity you have your you have your rain system your
2: your, your lightning
1: and thunderstorm system whatever it may be <laughs> they still know what's really going on outside yeah and uh, you know my good friend henry we always talked about how to how to make a portable low pressure system to instigate a breeding cycle could you do it feasibly you know could you could you feasibly and economically do it right how do you make low pressure systems and we realized that yes you could do it but it's a huge pain in the ass and it would cost an arm and a leg and as much as you would do your damnedest to make the pressure change they're still going to know what's going on out the window yeah whether whether they can see out the window or not they're still going to know it they're still going to feel it you know i mean i've watched snakes give a, a shiver not because they were cold but because they felt the pressure in the room change when my ac turned on wow and like i didn't know it turned on but i watched them do it and i was like that's really weird and i wound up going in the hallway turning the thermostat off left it for a little while, came back, turned it on, ran in the room real quick, and you hear the air conditioner go, you know, it makes that sound when it turns on and, and you watch the snake do it again, and it's like, they know what's going on. So, I feel like you doing everything you're doing is fantastic, and you getting the weights is awesome, and, and checking the probiotics and, and the food intake and caloric intake and uh, uh, minerals and the hardness of the water and everything is fan-freaking-tastic. But at the end of the day, you still have a specimen fr- that is still living in its native yeah. Place on the planet and knows when it's really cold outside, even if it's not cold inside. So I feel like you doing everything you're doing and then letting nature do its thing to a certain extent is only gonna be beneficial.
2: I completely and to, agree. And did not
1: like I don't want to say not overthink it, but you know you know what I'm driving
2: at. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um I I think it was fascinating though that wells I was able to get Wellsboro to call uh in November whenever It was cold out. Um, That was the only thing that I was shocked about (laughs) that video of, of, you know, the thunderstorm and that of itself, I think is, is pretty neat. Uh, And I still have the mushrooms in there. I'm waiting for them to come back up for the third round. Nice. uh, For those people that don't know, I have a, a large tank that I've been recreating the best I can weather conditions in, western pennsylvania for a literal woodland of american toads wood frogs and native plants only native plants um and i have purchased a weather station so that way i can get the conditions that are going on literally outside and then i could try to recreate that in the tank with as phil had said like an air conditioner and i have air purifiers and stuff like that to humidifier stuff to really treat the room itself not just the tank Um, and I also invested in some lights that are led. I have a UVB light over top one part of the tank and, um, I have a misting system. I have a canister filter, um, all kinds of bells and whistles on this thing. And the idea is to showcase what is going on throughout the seasons that these animals are enduring. Like the seasonal change, the plants, the animals and everything inside are going to, I guess, handle, you know, how are they going to adapt, so I created a, a small, like right now it's a series. And at some point for our conservation project, there will be a documentary episode that's going to talk about how the wild animals and the animals in this tank compare. And we're going to try to use these animals in the tank as a face for conservation. So there's some, there's some joint collaboration between the nonprofit and the media brand to, to try to really drive the point home.
1: It's excellent. I'm waiting for you to have the colander full of snow and just making it snow in the tank.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know what I thought about? How do you get how do you get snow? That's a good question. So I thought about this. Yeah, that you can do the snow cone maker route. uh, But getting ice and then ripping it apart with a blender and kind of creating that sleep is, I think, better than snow, because whenever these animals are waking up, sometimes yeah they'll wake up and it's in you know dead it's just snow everywhere but a lot of times it's when the ice is melting and the snow is melting and it's really compact and then it it gives that like runoff because where's the ice then going it's going into their water features then i, I don't know i just i thought about that though I, I was like can i do this can i make this and sure if, if i were to do it i would definitely like get my ninja blender rolling with ice and and do that <laughs> i would definitely yeah. consider that if For i sure were roomating them yeah
1: yeah, just get the colander and just make it shimmy over top of the tank and just, just a light just a light spackle, you know. Just a dusting. Just a dusting, yes. Thank you, Smitty. Just a dusting.
2: <laughs> you know what's wild is these plants all have to go dormant too, so it would literally look like it was wintertime if That's I did great. just a dusting. It would be nuts.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome.
2: Oh, so your spade foot toad, one thing that would be fantastic for it, more than anything else you can give it, would be leaf litter I don't know if you've thought about that but like where is it where is it native to which
1: so I haven't I haven't physically got them yet I'm I'm probably gonna wait till things warm up but it's the one I'm going for is in my hometown area Boca Raton so it's actually the spot that I would be hunting for them is probably maybe three or four miles inland from the the Atlantic Ocean and it is a slightly higher elevation everyone's eyes are rolling right slightly higher elevation going from say uh 28 feet above sea level to like 30 feet above sea level and it's all uh, sandy soil palmetto scrubs some oak and uh yeah so they're they're hunkering down in the base of palmetto frond uh palmetto heads they're hiding in oak leaf litter and and uh uh, australian pine needle leaf litter they're 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 hiding in that uh but it's never going to have frost or anything like that
2: (laughs) no i was just saying uh what i learned from so i'm probably one of the few people that thinks about this but uh so i have a i have a there's a yard outside and there's trees that are native and some trees that are just nursery trees plant nursery trees sure and and these animals have experience with both because they're suburban animals at this point you know the ones i have came from suburban areas so they have experience with both types of leaves so what i do in the fall is i pick the leaves off of the trees because i know they didn't hit the ground and there's no contaminants and it's true um, at this point i think they're safe so what i did was i made my own like leaf mix and i put that in the tanks and i saw all of the toads and the wood frogs go nuts like oh they, yeah. they look like wild animals in there because they hide and they hunt in it and it's it's just incredible to see like any anybody that says like moss is the way like leaf litter it at least for these animals is so much better and it's safer yeah. too yeah
1: especially depending on the species you're keeping i mean i've even seen there's the how do i phrase this there is a a up and coming style of fish keeping that is solely for blackwater fish you know h- higher level or uh, higher levels of acidic water lots of tannins in the water there i think it's is it marineland that makes the actual tannins in a jar that you can add I to your so. tank yeah so yeah. A lot of people are looking into that, and I, I'm almost positive that if you have something like eastern spadefoots that are living in a sandy soil that has a dampness to it, it's getting dew every night, every morning. The, the the dew point is of an appropriate grade regardless of the time of year, even in the heat of summer, and you have this these decaying oak leaves that are going to have vernal pools. It's going to raise the acidity. It's going to raise the tannins. Like, I want that in my enclosure. Yeah. That's that's awesome, you know? <laughs> so uh, my goal is that when I do find where they are, um, I'm probably not just going to take the, the first couple ones I find. I'm probably going to, like, survey the area, take some photos. But I want to set the tank up with their stuff. So if I find spadefoots in this bush, per se, I'm bringing a trawl and a garbage bag, and I'm going to steal some sand. I'm going to steal some leaf litter, you know, from where they're at. So I can recreate that best I can in, in my room.
2: I just thought it was funny because you're using Fiji water for other toads and you're going to go over here and do the poor man's version for these ones. Oh, well, no, no,
1: the spade the spade are going to get Fiji too, but like the leaf litter and crap. Oh no, it's, I'm stealing that from the, from the environment.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a place where you could get it from off of the trees or. Or is I mean, that yeah, for you? yeah, I
1: could. It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> I'm it, lazy. Is. I'm it, lazy. it is
2: a pain in the ass, you but know? it feels so much better. Like I don't know if you ever need to calm yourself. Like, I know you probably have so many things you could do, but if, if you need to relax, it's a productive thing. Just go out with a, uh, I don't know, a gallon or, you know, like those Ziploc bags and just, yeah. you know, just stash them in there. Yeah, it's peaceful. <laughs>
1: oh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure.
2: So. That's that's really interesting, though, what, what you're talking about with the spade foots. Yeah, I hope that goes well for you. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing just to consider, you know, you, you don't have to do this, but if you found any with a, a limb that's missing or an eye that's missing, that'd be an ideal candidate to take in, too, because you're probably helping it from getting eaten or a brutal sure. death or something like that. It's, you know, if it's missing its back leg, like a piece of it, it's going to be so hard for that animal to dig yeah so that that's what it's all about but i mean don't you know don't be deterred from getting a healthy one either oh I'm sure just, i'm just saying sure. if the opportunity is there and you feel like you know i'll look at this guy he's got an arm missing or something
1: yeah yeah, yeah absolutely give, give him a better life than when he's trying to eke his way through at that point
2: yeah yeah
1: there the the group chat is just going bananas on me tonight jesus
2: (laughs) i haven't said anything Uh, but i've been reading (laughs) yeah oh god
1: well on that note we're at the two hour mark gentlemen uh is there anything else we want to touch base on before we wrap this up no all right good stuff (laughs) well uh aaron you want to give us a rundown of where people can find you once more
2: yeah please check out pawoodsandforests.com. We've also got the Facebook page as well um, for the woods and forest media brand, my stuff, the big tank ACE, and a lot of the captive things. You can check out the woods and forest media, YouTube channel and the Instagram as well. We also have a website, a lot of cool stuff that we're doing. would love to connect with you guys. I love connecting with these, these guys from the herp And uh, you know, I've seen some of you guys pop up in my comments and, and different things like that. So, I would love to, you know, continue to catch up with you guys. But thanks again, Phil and Smitty, for having me on. I'm looking forward to coming back in six months with some really awesome content to share with you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. It's going to be awesome.
0: Ooh. This episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Use the code THN at checkout. Get 10% off your order. Get yourself a rack, get yourself a cage, get both. And uh, then hop on over to fullvisaapparel.com. Also use code THN at checkout. Get 15% off your order. That is just for THN viewers and listeners and supporters like you. Um, I talked to Wayne today. Yes. About a table. Yes. Door, so yes. We're getting there. <laughs> excellent. Yes, excellent. Good, good. Um. <laughs> Still don't know if it's if it's gonna happen for sure yet or not. But the things the things are in motion. So our hemi are crossed. That's right. <laughs> um, so be on the lookout for that. Follow it on Facebook and Instagram as well. Full V Sparrow um, might run a sale like a spring sale soon or something. Sweet. I don't know yet. I might put tank tops up here soon because I, I noticed people wear a lot of tanks. I don't wear tanks, but plenty of people do so that may be an addition here in the uh in the in the warmer months as they approach um coldbloodedcaffeine.com best coffee money can buy the snakes and stogies blend is where it's at but they have plenty of other blends and offerings that you should definitely try uh, you will not be disappointed with they're all all delicious and then puget sound pythons jeff and kendra the fine folks of pacific northwest Give them a follow on all major platforms, hunt them down on Morph Markets, stay in the loop with what they are doing. Uh, we'll be back Thursday. So we didn't record last week because I was sick. And so I'm fully plan on us being back this week. So awesome. It's one of those things. I called out of work for the first time in like five years. Wow. Like I don't call out. Yeah. I was it was it was rough. So I'm glad you're getting over it. Slowly, getting there, but don't sell any to Keller, please. <laughs> what? <laughs> sell what? These, I guess, shirts. I don't know. I <laughs> don't know. That I would be I would be losing stock if I sold to sold to Keller. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh jeez, we love you, Keller. <laughs>
0: uh Thank you all. We'll see you later. Bye.